Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. I'm Kim Thompson Pinder, the extraordinary word ninja and founder of RTI Publishing, where we work with you to ghostwrite and publish your signature book that will double your business by attracting clientele and position you as the go-to expert in your niche. Next, we will show you how to use your book to make lead generation and conversion a snap while building an audience. My guests include professionals, entrepreneurs, and coaches who use their skills to build people powerfully. They will share their story and powerful tips that will help you live better. They will also share their writing journey and how it has impacted their life and the lives of their readers. If you've ever wondered if writing a book makes a difference, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And I am so happy to have Jeff West with us today. Now, Jeff West and I are in a group together with Bob Berg of the Go-Giver series. And Bob and I can will both tell you that if you have never read the Go-Giver, you need to. It is going to change the way that you do business. It's going to revolutionize you and it's going to blow your mind. And also, if you go back to the very, sorry, the second episode, because the first episode was all about me. But if you go back to the second episode of the Author to Authority podcast, I interviewed Bob. So I'm excited today for the conversation with Jeff, because I I know him and, and he has done amazing things. And every time we're in a mastermind together and, and he shares his thoughts and ideas, I am just like so blown away. Now, he's an award-winning author of the heartwarming business fable, The Unexpected Tour Guide, and we're going to be talking about that today. Um, He's been a guest on national sales shows such as The Go-Giver Influencers, The Buyer's Mind. Um, You know, he's been in uh, Marketing Management Magazine, the National Federation of Independent Business, Peak Sales Recruiting. Um, You know, you've been seeing him all over the place. And for over 30 years, Jeff has coached and led sales teams in multiple industries and has been among the top sales performers and leaders in the nation. And so we're so glad to have him here today because he's going to be talking to us about sales and entrepreneurship and how sometimes our brain and our heart can trick us and keep us from moving forward as an entrepreneur. So Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kim. I'm honored to be here. So Jeff, why don't you share a bit of your story with us so our audience can get to know you a bit? All right. Well, I actually um, have degrees to teach. I'm originally from a little town in Northwest Georgia that very few people would even know. It's called the name of it's Dalton. Uh, but in I, college, I actually have degrees to teach. I'd originally planned to be a band director. I got a, a bachelor's in music education and a master's in music composition. And uh, I immediately ended up in sales after college uh, because my <laughs> wife needed to work and I mean, needed to finish her degree. So I needed to work and there weren't any teaching jobs open. And started off in in musical instrument sales, and then I went into industrial uniform sales. And that's how I ended up living in Texas, because the company moved me from Georgia to Texas to do that. 
Um, did that for a couple of years out here and the company got bought out and that buyout did not exactly go my way. Oh. <laughs> this was one of those stories. I, life is lived forward, but understood backwards. I am so glad it didn't work out my way because a couple of years later, I actually, just when I first became an entrepreneur, became self-employed and I spent, a, I guess, 25 years, I guess, in the insurance industry. The first 20 of that is in actual sales leadership. And the way I was with a company called Aflac and the way they're set up, everybody was self-employed. So that's what I did there. But I'm a much better entrepreneur probably than I am an employee in the long run. So I, I always tell people I'd rather shave the boss's face than kiss the boss's foot. <laughs> so <laughs> the entrepreneur is kind of my thing on that. Uh, I, you know, the, the entrepreneurial journey for me wasn't just a, you know, well, everything just went perfect the whole time. That's not what happened at all. I was I was one of those people that I was so burned out when I first started to work for myself because of what had happened prior to that. And I, I was one of the people also going under financially at the times. I was speaking at a place in Alabama this weekend, and I was telling people, I even got advised, it was getting so bad, I got advised to go bankrupt. And I didn't go bankrupt for two reasons. Number one, I owed the debts. And I have a part of me just wouldn't let that go. And I actually did later go pay every one of those debts off. And the second reason I didn't go bankrupt was the attorney who told me I should do it, wanted $1,200 to do it. I didn't even have enough money to go bankrupt. <laughs> I was too broke to go bankrupt, uh, but I, <laughs> but I had actually moved my family. My, my, my daughters were about nine and five, I guess about this time, maybe eight and four. Anyway, I had moved my family out of this nice middle-class neighborhood uh, where it was cul-de-sac and all the kids were playing with each other and they'd ride their bicycles down in the cul-de-sac. And we had to leave that place because I just couldn't afford to stay there at the time anymore. And we moved into a mobile home that I'm almost exaggerating when I call it a mobile home. It was, it was old. It was worn out. Uh, the floor was falling through in some places. Uh, it was, uh, it was not a very comfortable experience for life. I, I, my girls had had their own bedrooms and in the new place, they had to share a bedroom. And when I would walk through the, the to kiss them goodnight, they had twin beds and my legs literally would touch both beds when I walked in there to kiss them goodnight. Uh, it, it was a difficult time for the whole family and uh, the house that we had been living in. In the garage, the owner of the house, he didn't live in the same area. He lived in the same state, but Texas is kind of big, so it, it wasn't close. But he had told me we could store some things in the garage there. And then they were trying to sell the, the place anyway, and, and he would have the realtor contact me. Uh, when he uh, sold the house, well, he either couldn't contact me or he forgot to contact me and everything that we had in that garage was given away to goodwill. And uh, wow. most of it wasn't a big deal, like clothes and some furniture and all that. But uh, my two daughters' bicycles were in that garage. Oh, and I will, oh, oh uh, I will never forget the day that I had to tell them that their bikes were gone. And, oh, I could just imagine their reactions. <laughs> oh, it was, it was uh, what a child will do, you know? And, uh, uh, I, they said, daddy, can we go get some more? I said, not right now. We really can't. And so <laughs> I remember going out on my front porch of that mobile home and it was, uh, it was kind of a little rainy day. I don't remember what month it was to be honest about it, but it was, uh, I remember it was a little bit chilly and it was raining, which probably meant it was spring somewhere in that range. And, uh, the, uh, I stayed out of that mobile, the porch on that mobile home for probably 45 minutes because I, couldn't go back in the house because they had stopped crying, but I was out there on that front porch and I was 
I was a mess. I couldn't stop crying, quite frankly. And I, I had just, I felt defeated and I felt like I was a failure and I'd let my family down. But that day is when my career began to turn around Mm -hmm. because it made me, it may, I won't say mad because it's not the right thing, but it hit a nerve in me that I can't describe. And uh, it's like mentally I drew a, a, a line in the sand and I said, no more. Yep. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let my kids experience this kind of thing anymore. And uh, I just, I, I had a, as we would say back in Georgia, I had to come to Jesus meeting with myself. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I kind of got my head on right that day. And uh, I, I began to, to be more successful within about six months. I'd kind of turned things around. And I remember one day when they came home uh, from school, it was about six months later. And I said, Hey, get in the car. We're going to Walmart. And my oldest daughter, Lindsay said, dad, I can't go to the home to Walmart. I got homework. And I said, I don't care what you have. We're going to Walmart. So we went to Walmart and we get into Walmart and I'm kind of, you already know this. I'm, I'm, I'm not a real shy person. <laughs> And I'm going up and down the aisles in Walmart and I am, uh, the kids are trying to keep up with me. Uh, and it was just, it was funny. I'm being kind of loud and boisterous and we get back there, Kim, where they've got the toys and we get, they got the bicycles up on the rack. And I said, Whoa. And I just stopped. I grabbed their coats. I said, look at that. Look at those bicycles. How'd they get those bicycles up there? And then I told Lindsay, my oldest, I said, yeah, Lindsay, you love yellow. There's a yellow bicycle up there. And I said, Whitney, you love purple. There's a purple bicycle up there. And they said, yeah, Dad, that's great. And I said, guess what, kids? I tell you, Kim, I have, I've had a great career. I've made good living. I've worked for myself for more than half my life. In what I've done, I've met presidents. I've met celebrities. I've just, just had a very unusual and blessed life. Okay, friends with Bob Berg, which was the biggest of all of it. <laughs> but I will never try, I wouldn't trade any of that for that moment in the middle of Walmart when I got down on my knees with my kids in the middle of a store. I gave them a hug and a kiss. I said, Guess what? And they said, What? And I said, You can have anything in this store you want today. I can buy it. And uh, I didn't spend $500 that day, but I wouldn't trade a million for it. I really wouldn't. It's but some days you just, as, as an entrepreneur, we have to remember that. Uh, some days everything we touch turns to gold and some days everything we touch turns to something that's somewhat less shiny. (laughs) (laughs) And so you have to have something that will absolutely keep you in the game when that happens. And for me, it became, of course, my daughters are the most amazing thing in the world. I I tell people, if they ever ask me if I believe in love at first sight, say absolutely I do because from the very first day I held my daughters, either one of them in my arms, I fell hopelessly and helplessly in love with those girls forever. And uh, so they they were my why. They were my strongest emotional tie. And I just combined that with the logic of what I was doing. And if I went out and I made a sales call and someone was less than pleasant, I just looked at my pictures of my girls, which I had in my daytimer at the time, and looked at the girls and said, it didn't matter how many people were that way. I was going to make sure my daughters never experienced that again. Yeah. Yeah. Then I went on to have a multi-million dollar career. It it still wasn't overnight. It took a while, but (laughs) it was a good career. You know, when you you said that, it made me think back, um, you know, when my kids were little, uh, I made the choice to stay at home and raise them Mm -hmm. uh, instead of going out to work. Right. And so there was a lot of times money was really tight. Right. And um, but, you know, I I had an entrepreneurial spirit. So, you know, I did I did little things to bring in some extra money. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I'm only now building a really big business, but, you know, I would do things. Right. And I I remember we went to the mall 
and um, the kids were small. And you know how sometimes they have the little fairs that come into the mall parking sure. lot. Right. Well, the kids wanted to go on the rides and I couldn't take them that day. And I thought, okay, what do I do? So I managed, I got on the phone, you know, I was selling some skincare. I managed to make a few sales, make a few bucks. And I remember taking the kids and letting them go on a few rides. And now fast forward, my son's now 18 and we're out shopping one day and he sees the little fair in the mall. And he says, you know what, mom? He says, I remember back when we were little and, and you did everything that you could. You even sacrificed things that you needed so we could go on those few rides. You know, I have never forgotten that. I, I just about bald that day. I get it. You know, because the sacrifices we make for our kids, <laughs> they are worth it. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I did fall in love with my kids at first sight, the first moment I held them. Yep. But one moment that I will never forget is the first time I got to hold my grandbaby. Oh, talk about love at first sight. It was like every sacrifice I had made in raising my kids right. was worth it with this nine pound little bundle that I was holding in my arms that just, Oh, talk about just melt Nana's heart. And now, now that little bundles almost two and a half. Yep. And the other day he looked at me and he said, bye-bye Nana. Oh, I, I was done for. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get that completely. Last, uh, this last weekend, uh, actually it was on Monday. Uh, after I had spoken in Alabama, I drove to Georgia. I picked up my sister in North Georgia, and we drove to Nashville, Tennessee, because my daughter and son-in-law and my granddaughter and one of my grandsons that live in North Texas were going through that area, and they were going to see my other daughter and her husband and their son. And so the, I had them all in one place, so I took my sister up there and all that. And when I walked in the door, literally just walked in the door, my the, the, the boys, are they can't walk yet. They're, they're infants. But my three-year-old granddaughter saw me and went, Gray, gray, and put her arms out, went running up to me. Uh, she calls me gray, gray. It was supposed to be granddaddy, but you know what? I don't care what she calls me. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it completely. You know what my favorite thing too, Kim, about being a grandfather? I love it when I see my girls look at their kids now and how much love they have. And they'll turn around, and look at me and they'll look at me and say, I get it. I know how much you loved me. You still do. But it's just, it, it's a cool thing. It is. It is. Life is and, grand. And, and, you know, it, when you're an entrepreneur, you, you can think about things like legacy. Now, I'm not saying that if you're not an entrepreneur, you can't. But one of the things I love about being an entrepreneur is the legacy that I get to pass down. Absolutely. You know, like there's a lot of other things I pass down. Right. Right. But, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, my kids and my grandkids see the fact that I'm willing to put myself out there. I'm willing to grow. I'm willing to change, right? right? I'm willing to become more than what I am. And I hope that inspires them to live the life of their dreams. Now, do they need to become entrepreneurs? Nope. Maybe they're not called to. I I can tell you for a fact, my daughter has no entrepreneurial aspirations whatsoever. She's made it very clear. She does not want to be an entrepreneur, but she has (laughs) many times helped me in my business. But, you know, I'm watching her starting to live her dreams. You know, I'm watching my son, who is now a husband and a father. And, you know, I'm just so amazed. But we're kind of getting off topic here, but I think it's a good, good rabbit trail. But, Jeff, I know you've come prepared today with some great training 
on emotion and logic and how it works as an entrepreneur. So I want to let you you lose to talk about that. Okay. Uh, One of the things that used to puzzle me as a sales leader in the insurance industry, and it's puzzled leaders of companies and, and sales organizations across the country, it's how can you have two people who side by side look like they should both be very successful. Uh, I would say they look, they look good. They smell good. The resumes are good, <laughs> but you put them out in the field and you would expect both of them to succeed. And yet one succeeds great. And one fails, or you'll see organizations that the same thing happens. One company is very successful. One company is not. And so it was puzzling to me why that happened. And what, as I began to research for uh, my branding and the books that I do, I, came across the idea, uh, basically, that there's one key principle, one key factor that really influences whether an organization succeeds or not. It's how the people on that team, or even how they, with themselves, with their own entrepreneurial journey, answer one simple question. When it comes to this organization, when it comes to my career, will I persist or will I quit? That's it in a nutshell. I was telling a group this weekend, if the people who are supposed to follow you if they are answering that question that they will persist, you're going to be very successful in your organization. If they answer that question, when it comes to my relationship with you, I'm going to quit. You're going to fail as a leader. And so I wanted to know how they made that decision. And I actually uh, read some information from uh, uh, Dr. Antonio Damasio, who at the time was a professor of neurology at USC and an adjunct professor at the Salk Institute. And he had done a study about how people make decisions. And, you know, I'd always heard, well, you've got left brain and right brain people. Left brain is the logical side, the, the mathematics, the, the control kind of thing. The right, thing, right side is more creative and being a musician. Of course, I think I'm very right brain oriented. But the science doesn't really hold out that it's really left and right. But it does hold out that your logical portion of your brain and your emotional portion of your brain are two separate areas. And so Dr. Damasio was studying people that the neural pathways between those two areas had been interrupted, either by accident or by some sort of disease. uh, The the, the two parts couldn't communicate with each other. And what he found out in his study, I won't get too technical on this, but he found out that when it came down to it, those people could not make decisions. They could lay out the logical consequences of their decision, but they couldn't actually make a decision about which way to go. And so what it really amounts to is that all decisions are made with a combination of logic and emotion. And there is no exception to that. And as entrepreneurs, we have to realize that about our customers we're trying to serve and about ourselves and our own entrepreneurial journey. If we're going to succeed, we we have to understand that our positive emotions like joy, happiness, love, all of that. They create somatic markers or anchors, basically, that link whatever activity that we're doing at the time with that good feeling. And thus we want to keep doing that. And if they're negative emotions like uh, frustration, burnout, Red. things of that nature. Well, when that combines with logic, it still creates that somatic marker, but whatever activity we're doing at the time, we don't want to do that anymore. It's why so many salespeople actually get call reluctance is because they're a little bit embarrassed, a little bit frustrated or whatever. And so they start linking that with a logical plan and just the thought of going out and making sales calls starts to have a, a collision with them. Well, my branding, what I'm speaking and working, did workshops with companies now is called Fusion Points, Engage the Science of Persistence. And what I teach in those seminars is basically how to 
intentionally create those moments where positive emotion and logic are uniting mm-hmm. so that it creates a bond. And it cre- when it creates that kind of a bond, it, the fusion is almost impossible to break. Mm-hmm. And so it makes someone really be much more persistent in the career. So as entrepreneurs, what I always suggest for you, and, and I know I did this for me, is you've got to have something that is constantly in front of you that is kindling your positive emotions combined with your logical plan for success. You know, all if you don't have that logical plan for success and you haven't mastered that, all the positive emotion in the world is not going to make you successful. But if you master a logical plan so you can get the work done, and then you combine that with your most powerful positive influences, like we were talking earlier with my children for me. And I got to tell with you too, Kim, your children, your grandchildren, it's part of what's made you who you are is that tie. But when you combine those together, then an organization can grow, your entrepreneurial career can grow, and it will link it in such a way that the bond is practically impossible to break. Wow, that's incredible. And, and you know, when you, you were talking there about um, sales resistance, like making those the resistance to making those calls. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've experienced that so many times over the years and, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've had to learn to fight it because, you know, it's like, okay, I put it off to the next day, but then as an entrepreneur, if you put it off to the next day, <laughs> You have no money coming in. <laughs> That's true. So, you know, money does become a motivator at times to get you to make those phone calls. I mean, it, you know, I understand the salespeople, you know, a lot of times they're, they're commissioned, but sometimes as a salesperson, you are salaried. So, you know, if you don't make the sales calls that day, you know, you could probably get away with a few days of not really doing everything because, you know, you still have that paycheck coming in. Right. But when you're an entrepreneur, and you don't make those sales calls, you don't have a business. You have to be productive every day. Something that I did early in my career, Kim, I read a book called The Psychology of Sales Call Reluctance. And I don't remember the author's name. It's slipping me right now, but it's a great book. It's written by a couple of scientists in Dallas. And uh, I did two things from that book. I learned to really crystallize, again, why I was doing what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then I also learned a technique that they taught. And it was a little bit about interrupting that somatic marker. And and I did what they said. I actually wore a rubber band around my wrist. And every time as I would get, if I would have any call reluctance, I could feel that in there. I'd pull that rubber band and pop it. And just that little bit of a pain sensation would interrupt the somatic marker, take my mind off that. And it made the call easier. So if that helps you in any way, uh, my recommendation to you is always going to be, you get something on your computer screen as you're getting ready to make your calls that remind you why you're still doing it today. And that will change over your life. You know, I retired from the insurance industry eight years ago. So my why and my kids are grown and they've got wonderful family. So it's changed over the years. But if you have something really crystal like that, and then if all else fails, pop a rubber band on your wrist, you'll make the call. <laughs> well, I loved how you, you talk there about, you know, using uh, different things to help keep you motivated. And for, for me, I, one of the things that keeps me motivated, and it may sound really strange, but I remember back when I first started publishing books, you know, I was going through a little bit of imposter syndrome. And I mean, I had written my own books first, so it's not right. like I wasn't an author before I started writing books for other people. But I remember at one point I was going through it, that feeling <coughs> of imposter syndrome. And believe it or not, I had this God thought and God said, you know what? I created you to make a difference in the lives of people. 
I created you so that you can help people get their messages out there, which makes a difference in the lives of other people. And how dare you not? (laughs) When God says, how dare you not? You listen. (laughs) He has a way to know exactly what to say at the right time. doesn't he? I wish I could do that. (laughs) And, and, And ever since that point, I've realized that, you know, am I everybody's cup of tea? No, I'm not. But for those people that I was created to serve, how dare I not serve them? Absolutely. That, right. And it's, that's it's awesome. totally changed the way I do things because, you know, yes, I get paid and I get paid well for what I do. Right. But, you know, my job is to make a difference in people's lives. And right. in return, I receive the value of money, which helps me live a life and help, helps me help other people. Absolutely. And you've got, you know, in the little time that we've known each other through the Go-Giver Success Alliance, it's really obvious that you have a spirit that is about providing a lot of value, a lot of service to other people, and you've got a good work ethic. And so uh, it doesn't surprise me that you're doing well. (laughs) Okay, well, we've got a couple of minutes left here, and I want to get to your book. So it's called The Unexpected Tour Guide. So first of all, Tell me a little bit about the book, and then I'm going to ask you the question I ask every author who's on the show. Okay. Uh, the book is a sales fable. Uh, it's actually, uh, it, people tell me that even if they're not in sales, they love the story in the book. It's about a young salesman. Uh, he is trying to find his way, but he's really struggling. And he meets a homeless man, and it totally changes his life. And the lessons that he learns from that man are just really pretty incredible. Um, it's, um, it's won some awards as far as, uh, the book goes and all that. And it, it's, it's something I'm proud of. Uh, even if you're not in sales, if you're an entrepreneurial, if you're an entrepreneur, you actually are in sales. So I encourage you to read it. Uh, it, and the, if you want to find out a little bit more about it, if you go to my website, jeffcwest.com on the homepage, you'll see a trailer. I've got it set up like a movie, but we have a book trailer. It's almost like a movie trailer that you can find out more about the book, but uh, it teaches a lot of very valuable sales lessons in there. It's gotten some great endorsements from Bob Berg, from Brian Tracy, from Tom Hopkins. Uh, it's just, it's been a pleasure to have done that book. And I, I tell people that's a God thing for me too, because it's when I it, literally, when I started writing it, I couldn't stop. And uh, I used some real life people as characters in the book. Uh, one of them, since since you said what you said a while ago, I'll tell you about this. There's a gentleman named Jack Amberson, who was my first sales manager on my first job. And I wrote him into the story and I wrote some real life things between he and I in the story, but I also wrote his character into his character in the story. And uh, one of the things that I learned from him that changed my life and my children's life and my grand, grandchildren's life, I, I grew up in a family where the we weren't verb, there wasn't a lot of verbal expression of love. I, not that my parents didn't love me. I know they did. They worked hard. Uh, I know they loved me. But that but wasn't their love language. That wasn't their love language. And uh, when I went to interview with Jack, I spent a few days at his house and his kids were first grade, younger, whatever at that time. Every single morning as we were having coffee, getting ready to go out, his kids would come in there. He got them up on his lap. He gave them a big hug and a kiss. And he said, I am so glad that God picked me to be your daddy. I love you so much. And I'd never seen that. And so I would not have known to do that with my kids. But as a result, I did that with my kids. And they've grown up so confident in that love. And, and I've watched them do it with their grandchildren 
It's so wonderful. I actually got to spend some time with Jack Amberson last weekend. He still cries when I tell him about the story. <laughs> anyway, I think you'll like the book if you get it. Uh, if you don't, well, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Money back here. I don't know. I think you'll like the book if you get it. And it's a short read. Uh, it's uh, and Bob Berg actually makes a cameo appearance in the book. <laughs> nice. You know, uh, just very quick rabbit trail. You know, it's amazing when you watch your kids do the things with their kids that you did with yes. them. And it just, it, it's so amazing. I so agree. here's the question I ask of every single author who comes on the show. Okay. What was the good, the bad, and the ugly of writing, producing, and publishing this book? Uh, the good was the actual experience. Uh and it's such a, a neat story that every time I go speak and people are coming up afterwards and I'm signing books and all that, it's a, it's a very rewarding end result. Uh, it's, um, it, it's, it was a joy in that way. The bad, if there was a bad, uh, it's really trying to get through the idea in my head that as much as I love that book and I want, I want it to sell millions of copies and all of that because I love the book that much. It's really, if you're an entrepreneur and you're becoming uh, seen as an expert at what you do, your book is almost like your calling card. It is, it is something you need to be able to go out and put in hands because it adds to your credibility. Mm -hmm. And so that was not the direction I mentally wanted to go with it, but it was so valid. And the coaching I got about that at the time was so valid that I later began to understand that. Now I still like to sell lots of books because I love it when people come up to me and just they, they say the things about the story. But that that would probably be the the one thing that was a little bit uh, difficult for me in the beginning. Uh, more good uh, when we did the book trailer. That just it was a joy, and the, I, I absolutely loved the cover of the book. I, I, I can't explain it, but the person Kim who does what you do and was helping me with my book when I got started before we ever met. That person has been on your show. I understand Doug Crow. His team put together my book cover, and I just absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. <laughs> Actually, Doug hasn't been on the show yet. I, I'm going okay. to approach him about doing an episode together. Now, okay. Doug Crow is part of the Go-Giver Success Alliance, and right. uh, uh, the three of us all mastermind together. And I love Doug. You know, Jeff and I were talking about before, and here, here's the thing about authority marking and about being an entrepreneur you know, and, and, and building your network of people, your network of people should include people who do the same thing that you do. Absolutely. Now, Doug has a slightly different audience target market than I do, Right. but you know, Doug and I get along great. We've referred business back and forth to each other. So, right. you know, as an entrepreneur, you need to have a mindset that you are not in competition with other people who do the same thing that you do. There is more than enough business and more than enough sales in this world to go around for everyone. Well, and you when and Doug you have an that, absolute great example on that too. You really yeah, do. When you have that attitude of abundance, it actually opens you up to receive more sales, more business, and you can easily refer business to other people without feeling the competition and you celebrate when other people who do the same thing you do succeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jeff, well what is the best way that people can get a hold of you? Go to jeffcwest.com. Or if you want to email me, email me at jeff at jeffcwest.com. But you find out all of my things are there, jeffcwest.com. 
including a lot of free resources for salespeople. And it's probably uh, some of it's for entrepreneurial. There's some things I did for Susan Solovic that are very entrepreneur oriented as well. And so feel free if you, you know, feel free to just reach out and you can find me on Facebook, uh, Jeff C. West. You, matter of fact, if you saw my Facebook this weekend, you saw me sitting in a chair with my three grandchildren all at one time. And I said, granddaddy heaven. <laughs> I'm also on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. So Twitter, I think it's Jeff C, author Jeff C. West, something like that. And on LinkedIn, it's just, uh, just look up Jeff C. West. You'll find me. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Jeff. This has been an amazing interview. And thank you for, for joining us on the Author to Authority podcast. So this has been Jeff West and Kim Thompson-Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you on the very next episode. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Author to Authority podcast. I have a free gift that I would love to give you. Coming out this year, I am releasing my book, Author to Authority. And if you are an entrepreneur, solopreneur, small business owner, professional coach, or speaker, and you want to find out how to gain visibility and how to build your business bigger, stronger, faster, then I recommend that you download a free sample of the Author to Authority book at www.authortoauthority.com forward slash get dash the dash book. It's going to be a great resource for you that teaches the author to authority concept and the six key areas that you build authority in and how you can use a book to do it all faster. So don't forget, get your free copy today.